Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hi, church. My name is Lauren, and my pronouns are she, her. Tonight, we are continuing in a series called Astounded, wherein the crowds are astounded at Jesus because he speaks as one with authority. Oftentimes in Matthew's gospel, Jesus's kind of authority is juxtaposed with that of the religious leader's kind of authority. And in tonight's reading, we will see just that. Our story begins just after Jesus has healed a man with a withered hand. And in response to this healing, the religious leaders, Matthew 12, verse 14, went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And this is where our reading for tonight picks up. Matthew 12, verses 15 through 32. When Jesus became aware of this, that is, when he became aware that they were conspiring against him, how to destroy him, he departed. Many followed him, and he cured all of them. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my sermon, servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles." He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Then they brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and he cured him, so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, that this man casts out the demons. He knew what they were thinking and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your own exorcists cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judge. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man? Then indeed the house can be plundered. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of humanity will be forgiven, 
But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My parents called from downstairs. Lauren, will you come down here and talk to us for a minute? I was 19 years old, home for Easter weekend 2006, a sophomore in college. I hadn't heard this downstairs call since I was in high school and in some kind of trouble after fighting with my older brother or smarting off to my mom. But this time, in this moment, as far as I was aware, I hadn't done anything wrong. Nothing worth the urgency at which I was being summoned. I made my way downstairs, turned the corner and into the living room, and there my parents were, seated. My dad in his chair and my mom on the far end of the couch. She patted the cushion next to her. Come, sit down. Your dad and I want to talk to you about something. I sat down next to my mom and I looked up at my dad, curious. Lauren, we are really worried about you. Something doesn't seem right. You don't seem like yourself, and we just want to check on you. Are you okay? Is there anything wrong? Can we help you in any way? I felt so seen and so scared, so I did the only thing I knew to do and grabbed the neck of my shirt and pulled it over my face. Like a small child playing hide and seek, maybe they couldn't see me this way. Are you depressed? My dad gently asked. I couldn't speak, but I nodded. Yes. Do you want to talk to us about what's going on? Took everything in me to say, I can't. And with that, the dam broke and all the tears came the quiet kind that sound less like sobbing and more like high-pitched whimpering. It was silent for a long time. My mom placed her hand on my back, moved in closer to me on the couch, my face still hidden by my t-shirt. Honey, do you like girls more than boys? I froze. I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, I couldn't do anything. I was completely still. I had no intention of sharing this with my parents, with anyone, but it was like my body had kept silent for so long, and I physically just couldn't do it anymore. It was killing me, and they knew it. So finally, I nodded. Yes. The room was silent, and I had no idea what they were going to do or say next. It's hard to know when you're from the Bible Belt. Surrounded by the lingo, that's so gay, and other words or phrases I can't bring myself to say aloud. I have never felt more like a bruised reed in a smoldering wick, so vulnerable and fragile. I felt like I was at the mercy of my parents' response, which had the power to break what was already so bruised and snuff out what was already a faintly burning wick in me. Or the power to bind up with loving embrace and gently blow a tender ember into a flame anew. 
I imagine we all have these kinds of experiences, ones in which the circumstances of life, whatever it might be, have left us bruised, reduced to a small ember. And we aren't sure how this particular episode of our life's story will end. We're not sure if we're on the brink of restored and aflame or broken and extinguished. And we get the sense that we're at the mercy of someone else and that the trajectory of our relationship with them rests heavy on this moment. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 42 had imagined an agent of God, one who would use his authority not to break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. In my own bruised reed, smoldering wick moment, I could have used the assurance of someone like that. I'm sure many of you could too. Ted Lasso, spoiler alert. It makes me think of the recent episode in Ted Lasso where queer Colin and Captain Isaac have a conversation in Colin's doorway. Isaac wants to know what took Colin so damn long to tell him the truth about who he was. Colin responds, it's nothing to do with you. It's about me. I was 99% sure that you'd support me, but the 1% chance that you wouldn't, it scared the shit out of me. And that's 99 to 1. I imagine many of us don't carry around those kinds of odds. In our text tonight, Matthew picks up this ancient Hebrew scripture, Isaiah 42, and drops it in the middle of his own narrative, as if to say, you remember the characteristics of that Isaiah 42 agent? The one that had all that spirit-filled authority who would not use his power to break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick, but instead bring justice to all people? Well, that's what Jesus is like. That's Jesus. Whether it's downstairs in the living room, the coffee shop, the support group, the, the classroom, the capital, that's what Jesus is like. One who won't break what's bruised, quench what's barely flickering. But that's not how everyone sees him. Just after Matthew's, 40, Matthew's Isaiah 42 might drop, the religious leaders walk back onto the scene and use their stage presence to accuse Jesus of being the exact opposite. Jesus has just given a man his sight and his voice. Everyone is amazed. They're astounded, literally beside themselves. And the religious leaders respond by calling Jesus the ruler of demons. They had done this before in Matthew 9, but Jesus just went on his way and continued to do what Jesus does, binding up the broken and fanning smoldering wicks to flame. But here they do it again. He's Beelzebub. He's the ruler of demons. I mean, you can't get any further from Isaiah 42 than that. Matthew says, this authority is of the spirit of God. And the religious leaders say, this authority is the ruler of demons. The other week, I learned this new word, catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is a cognitive distortion that prompts people to irrationally jump to the worst possible conclusion with very limited information or evidence. That's what I see the religious leaders doing here, catastrophizing Jesus' life and the Spirit of God to such a degree that they see all these glorious, beautiful, astounding acts of God and call it demonic. 
call him demonic. It wasn't there, but I imagine that was painful to hear after you've poured out your entire life for the sake of other people. I imagine those words left some bruises on Jesus. It's completely absurd, so incredibly out of line, and Jesus decides to give this conversation the time of day. He doesn't have to, but he does. He doesn't owe them, but he graces them with a conversation. And I have no idea how he does this so rationally, so logically. He doesn't wrangle, doesn't yell, but he lays it out for them. Number one, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. If Satan casts out Satan, how would Satan's kingdom stand? In other words, Satan isn't that stupid. Number two, you guys have your own exorcists that cast out demons. Are they Beelzebub? And three, calling the spirit of God demonic is hard to come back from. Are you sure you want to go there? Say what you want about me, but calling the spirit of God demonic? Well, that's blasphemy and dancing awfully close to the edge of unforgivable. I wonder if Jesus sees the religious leaders as bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, even if they can't see it themselves. Your certainty has left you bruised. Your judgment has reduced you to an ember. You were made to reflect so much more, more wholeness in this fragmented world, more light in shadowy places. This feels like one of those moments where the trajectory of Jesus's relationship with the religious leaders rests heavy on this conversation. How will it end? Unfortunately, not well. Jesus's logic doesn't work. They've already plotted to destroy him and they will double down. Jesus will continue to use his spirit of God authority to heal, to wash, to free, to meet people on the brink and fan them to flame anew, to build up the beauty of the world God loves. And while Jesus is doing all of that, the religious leaders will use their authority to conspire, to bruise him, and then to break him, to reduce the light of the world to an ember, and then extinguish him, leaving him buried in darkness. I feel safe enough to say this at Galileo. During any given week, on any given day, at any given moment, I can range from atheist agnostic humanist all the way to a hopeful Christian universalist. It's a very exciting worldview roller coaster, and I think many of you might be on this ride with me. But what keeps me coming back to the Christian faith, what I find to be the most astounding, compelling, comforting, and beautiful thing about Jesus, the thing that draws my heart near to God's heart on the days that I do believe, is this. The manifestation of God to the world is empathy. What I mean is that not only will Jesus not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick, he knows what it is to be the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. He knows what it is to bruise and break, to dim and dim until he is snuffed out. 
to be catastrophized, relegated to the margins by those who speak of them as the enemy. Jesus's authority is experientially empathetic. Bruised, broken, ember, extinguished himself. He gets us. He gets the human experience. He knows how bad the world can suck. I had nodded to my mom's question, do you like girls more than boys? I didn't have it in me that day to respond, just girls, not boys, but they'd figure that out eventually. When I nodded yes to my mom, the only thing I could hear were the faint drops of my tears hitting the inside of my shirt, which was still pulled up over my face. I heard my dad get up from his chair and move closer to me, and I was terrified. Lauren, look at me. He was bent down directly in front of me. I shook my head. I can't. My mom gently placed her hand on my hand and moved the neck of my shirt down my face where my eyes eventually met with my dad's. Your mom and I love you. Unconditionally. He leaned in closer. Unconditionally. There is nothing you could ever do or be that would change that. Unconditionally. We love you for who you are unconditionally. And then they just held me like oxygen to a tiny ember. My parents would tell you they aren't the most religious or spiritual people, but that moment was the most incredible embodiment of the way of Jesus I have ever experienced. I've had a lot more of these conversations since I was 19, and they all haven't gone like this one. Instead, lots of catastrophizing, lots of talk of something really bad must have happened to you to be this way, and talk of the enemy has really gotten a foothold in your life. I've also had the privilege of hearing the spiritual autobiographies of many of you in this room. The moments you've mustered up all the courage you have to open up the door of your life to someone, whatever that might look like or be, knowing full well that the trajectory of your relationship rests heavy on their response to this moment, on the conversation you don't owe anyone, but that you've decided to grace the world with through a conversation when you're home from college, or a letter you dropped in the mail, or an email you've drafted a thousand times, or a text you've been editing in notes before you copy, paste, send. And then, you're snuffed out confined to the very margins of your family or friends or church with catastrophizing talk of demons. Matthew, via Isaiah 42, said that this agent of God would bring hope. Where's the hope? I don't want to presume what is hope for you, but for me, it's been in finding a new church, new siblings in the faith, it's been in watching Steph and Kate or Deidre and Deanne get married because I never knew that kind of life would ever be possible for me. It's been in watching children ring the bell or run around in the big red barn knowing they'll be loved unconditionally, unconditionally. 
It's been in attending a Galileo dance party, which is made up of mostly horrible dance moves, which makes me feel included with my own horrible dance moves. It's been in meeting parents of trans children who beam with pride when they talk about their kids and fight every day for them to grow up in a world where they won't be bruised and snuffed out. And on my best days, it's been in the faith that when the empathetic light of the world was extinguished, even then the Spirit of God fanned him to flame anew. And so too, the Spirit of God for you. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.